Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive. We have another fantastic episode today. We are going to get deep into the processing of modeling March Madness with one of the, I would say, one of the premier voices in the Twitter space when it comes to uh, analytics of college sports, college basketball, and uh, really this specific topic. We could not have asked for a better guest. Andy, we welcome today uh, none other than Dr. Ed Fang of the Power Rank. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, man. I appreciate what you guys do and uh, excited to chat about March Madness. Yeah, man. Uh, how, how's it uh, How's it shaping up for you? You getting uh, getting pretty busy, getting pretty ramped up, ready to, to get after it this year? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I embarked on this uh, 10-day daily podcast series, so I try to give everyone about 10 minutes uh, a day of either bracket or strategy advice or, or I preview a team. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been more work <laughs> than I thought, thought it would be. I, I've, oh, I've wanted to do this daily kind of preview series for a while, like, you know, heading back into last football season. And I've been working with, uh, I've been working with these other guys at Pure Hoops Media, which has been fantastic. But, you know, then they're like, hey, let's stack to the first day. I'm like, okay, <laughs> great. So that means 11. How am I going to figure that out? So... I'm a little bit behind on other things, but, uh, you know, I can't complain. Love this time of year was always, you know, as a fan, I think kind of my biggest sports experience was, uh, the Stanford teams in 2001, 2000, 2001, 2003, when Mike Montgomery had his teams. And so I just love this time of year. Uh, I just love college basketball and it's, uh, it's fun to get into it. Was that the Collins twins era? Yep. Collins okay. twins, Casey Jacobson, uh, little, little guard named, um, I don't even remember his name, but but a guy who all of a sudden started shooting fifty five percent from three as a senior, and it just I mean the team was so much fun to watch. Nice, nice. How would you? Uh, how would you? What I guess what what would you rank the uh, the college basketball season to this point in terms of entertainment value? Would you say this is a pretty memorable year? Yeah, I would say it's a pretty memorable year. Um, I think the story of Zion Williamson and Duke and what this team has done has been pretty amazing. That's been even enhanced by the, the shoe disaster uh, and his injury. And we got lots to talk about there. Um, you know, it's been nice. I live in Ann Arbor. So, you know, this Michigan team has also has an excellent story over the last few years, turning from this offensive juggernaut to a defensive juggernaut. That's been a fantastic story. Um, I think we've seen Tom Izzo's greatest coaching job. So, yeah, I think a, a lot of good things, but I think it's going to be a really competitive tournament, uh, which we can get into. But excitement value, I think it's been a fantastic year. Yes. Yeah, Andy, you agree? Yeah, it was. It's, we've come a long way from the, when we handed Duke the trophy there four months ago. <laughs> the, over, the overreaction. Oh, my Duke God. Beat the overreaction. The out of and, Kentucky, and, and it was like, yeah, the season's yeah, over. Uh, right. Oh, the season's over. And you have this in every sport. There's always early season overreactions. But no, it's it has been great. Yeah, both Michigan squads. I'm excited about uh, Gonzaga getting deep again. Duke, Duke will be just fine. Duke's always going to do what they do. And, uh, you know, and then also all the mid-majors. It's gonna always funny. It's it's so hard to predict who's going to make a weird run. And once in a while, you just have a chalky year. I'm trying to think of the – I think it was the UCLA year. 
that just yeah. like there just were no upsets. It was real boring, but yeah, the upsets do make it fun. It's it has been a fun season. It's it's wild how it's already winding down. Like there's there's only like four tournaments that haven't started yet, and obviously the Ivy League never starts. That's that's like not till this weekend for some reason. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they uh, we're getting right down to it. I mean, honestly, with the bubble, there's probably I mean you could probably pencil in. 50 like 50 teams lock them put them in sharpie right now so there, there's not a whole lot of probably more than that honestly right closer to 60 and so there's not a whole lot of uh you know shuffling left to do but you can always have some some goofiness in some of these smaller tournaments where i mean like new mexico state can lose theirs and end up not getting in and that's the tough thing for some of those small schools it's it's one bid stuff win and get in doesn't matter if you get 28 wins you're not getting in from like the the whack or something like that if you don't win your tournament these are these right. are just as fun i one of these times i'm gonna make it to vegas for for this week because they do have the the tournaments at the orleans they have the tournament thomas and mac like it'd be ton of, it would be fun to just get a ton of tickets to uh, go to a bunch of games out there this week but i i always yep. go for march madness it'd be tough to swing that with the wife tiller i want to go two weeks in a row <laughs> <laughs> andy would you say this I'm, tournament I'm is leaving andy is this tournament wide open <laughs> That's an ongoing. It, it is wide open. wide open. I think it's wide open too. All right. Well, let's uh, let's introduce the uh, listeners a little bit more um, more detail to to Ed Fang. Um, Ed, you run the uh, Twitter handle and the website and uh, all of the associated podcast content that comes along with the Power Rank. Uh, can, can you give us uh, fill us in a little bit on some of the details of of your background and your story that uh, so the listeners can kind of appreciate uh, some some of the angles you're bringing to the table. Yeah, so I started out in research. Uh, I got my PhD at Stanford and, and always thought I wanted to be a professor. And then the more I got into that career, I was like, uh, no, this is, this is really not for me. I kind of care more about sports than I do about science experiments. But luckily, my background in essentially applied math was a, a really good springboard to, to kind of get into sports. And uh, happy coincidence, I was, I was looking at some of the stuff that Google was doing with the PageRank algorithm which is a way of sorting the, the mess that was the internet into, you know, which sites were important and which sites didn't matter at all. And it was interesting to me because it was the same math that I was doing in my research. And I was thinking about, hey, maybe we can apply this to sports. And so that's what I did. And the power rank kind of came out of that. Uh, I developed this algorithm that will take a statistic like margin of victory. And then the, the algorithm, the the this method that was inspired by PageRank it essentially adjusts for a strength of schedule. Mm, and nice. so in every sport that I do, uh, you know, the, the basic team rankings and everything you can find on the public part of my site is uh margin victory adjusted for strength of schedule. And applied, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Applied math and sounds just, applied math sounds like something crazy, crazy hard. Can you explain what applied math is <laughs> for those of us who are like, excuse me? Yeah, I mean, I would just say it's using math to solve problems. Um, you know, in this particular case, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, the mathematics of randomness. And, and if you've oh, ever watched man. sports, you can understand how that <laughs> that applies. Oh, of course. Um, but, but the way, the, you know, the way I developed the, the ranking algorithm was, um, you know, it's just, you know, how do you account for, you know, the Michigan plays in the Big Ten and that conference has been great and Gonzaga plays in 
West Coast Conference, and they haven't been as good. And it's just a math of how do you how do you adjust for that? I love this. So in general, you're looking at um, making more making the data itself more useful. Is that fair to say? Like you guys, you get box score data, you get a lot of data over the course of the season. Right. But uh, if you don't account for that sort of thing, there's a whole hell of a lot of noise, and it's a lot more difficult to to you know pull some signal out of that. Is that pretty fair to, to characterize it that way? Yeah, definitely. And and. So, I mean, I mean, the simplest thing that everything started out with was the team rankings. Um, and so it's definitely a way of sorting through 5,000 some college basketball games, telling you who the top three teams in the nation are. Uh, but it goes beyond that. Uh, you know, I, I look at efficiency, so points for possession, and I adjust for strength of schedule there as well. Um, and that's nothing new. It's the exact same thing Ken Pomeroy does. But I actually really like to get into the four factors and adjust for strength of schedule there as well. Nice. Because, you know, like the, the type of two-point defenses that you're facing in the Big Ten are going to be a lot different from, you know, what, what you're facing in other leagues that might not be so defensive-oriented. Um, so, and, and this is one of the things that I really love about, you know, what Izzo has done this year. Um, so, oh, and, and one thing I also like to do, I, I like to separate two-point field goals and three-point field goals separately. Uh, we know that there's a lot more randomness in the three-point field goals. So you can tell a little bit more about how a team plays defense in terms of two-point two field goal uh, offense and defense. And, um, you know, Michigan State, has, you know, they've, they've been first in the nation. Uh, so they're, uh, you know, they're second. They, they, they're second in the nation in two-point field goal defense. They allow 41% on defense from, on two-point shots. Uh, when you adjust Goodness it gracious, for who they played, awful. it uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, if you're holding your opponent to forty percent two point range, you're doing a pretty good job. Seriously, um, but but you can make all kinds of uh, adjustments there. So um, yeah, you know, it, I I think the the schedule adjustments are really important in college basketball, um, even down a level of four factors. It's really important in college football when you're looking at yards per play and try to sort out power five versus versus group of five teams. And, you know, that's where my background is, is really come in pretty useful for, for looking at sports. Like yeah, it, you gotta apply that math. It's like all those all those kids <laughs> saying, "When am I ever going to use this math? When am I ever going to use exactly. that?" <laughs> you, 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 you problem. I'm going to need that math. <laughs> yeah, and just and I mean, at the basis the basis level of of modeling of using data analytics math anything like what Ed said there with everything he was using, he was giving it more context. He was giving it adjustments to make make it actually make sense instead of just being, you know, the, the, the surface level stats that anybody can find. And I think that's a, that's just going to be a huge lesson. And we're going to harp on that every time we talk about modeling, yeah, the more context, the more adjustments you can make it to actually make it a, a fair comparison between team A and team B, the more accurate your data is going to be and the better you're going to do at this. Yep. The, more, the, the more you're going to be at yeah, uh, just making, making your predictions. Yeah. That, that, in the end, yeah, you're, you're making your prediction. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And Andy, I wanted to jump on something that you said in terms of like, you know, like solving problems with, with math. Um, I mean, I have a big problem with how math was taught in our school and, you know, how many more people in life would have been interested in math if you've been like, hey, let's go bet on some sports games oh, and, and use math to do point. that. 
That's a great um, point. I mean, it's all it's all about the motivation. And instead, you know, we get these classes like, all right, let's do some addition. All right, let's do some subtraction. And even you get to college, you're like, all right, uh, here's calculus. Well, I mean, that's no pretty clear. It's pretty clear that there are adults who are relearning math now in that context. For sure. Absolutely. Like, for Absolutely. sure, people who are listening to this podcast have probably gone through discussions of, man, I need to need to go back and relearn this stuff. People and they are on this podcast. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, speaking, yeah. I've, watched, I've watched some Khan Academy videos trying to figure out some uh, some of the old stats. Nice. That, um, but yeah, when, when, you, when you take stats that long ago, I'm not yeah. as old as whale, but I'm up there. And it's been a while since I took some uh, some stats and probability classes. Sometimes you need the old refresher to do a little uh, figuring out. That's a good point. And you know, as long as we're in the in the space of the three R's, uh, it should be worth noting uh, that Ed, you hold the distinction of being the top author in the basketball category on Amazon <laughs> for your book "How to Win." Your NCAA tournament pool. Um, I have a lot of questions for you about this kind of, you know, this specific, uh, you know, um, you know, vein here. There, we could probably go on for hours and hours. We'll try to keep it tight. Um, but um, sure. you know, how did you just wind up on that as a topic? Uh, it did you do you feel like you kind of uncovered a couple of very specific mineable angles of? Like, ooh, this is something people are interested in. This is something I have a skill yeah. at and something I'm interested in. Uh, you know, how, how did that, this all come about where you ended up writing a book about Mark Madness pools? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think it really came about because Ken Pomeroy was already the college basketball numbers guy. Uh, and I was, I was really interested in college basketball. And I was like, it doesn't make any sense to, to start the power rank as a, as a college basketball analytics site just because I, I don't really feel there's the market for like two people in that space. I mean, sure. football is a completely different story because football is just a lot bigger. Um, so it kind of came down to, you know, how, you know, how can I do something in college basketball, something that I love um, and make an impact and kind of further also my life mission. Like I, I want to make analytics uh, help people in their lives. Right. Sure. And I, I don't think there's a better way to take a casual sports fan and say, hey, here are some simple tips to help you win your pool. So it was like 2015 and I don't know, the, the, the football season ended and clock ticked over to January. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do this book. And man, that was a really painful two months. Right. Because you have a very hard deadline. Sure. And um so anyways, the research, uh, you know, I had the team rankings and I knew how to calculate win probabilities and all that stuff. Um, but uh, I'll tell you about all, you know, the, there's there's a lot of contrarian strategies that I talk about in my book, which are, are really the key. I mean, essentially, you're fading the public. And I had to do some interesting sampling with that. Uh, you have to take the ESTN public data and you have to figure out, basically, you use that as a way to figure out what the distribution of other brackets is in your who you're competing against in your pool, because there's a lot of randomness there too, right? You know, you have a ton of people that know nothing about basketball. You can be in a pool with the two of you guys, which I highly don't recommend because <laughs> you don't want to be in with people who know what they're doing. Oh, I thought um, it was because we weren't good for it. <laughs> we weren't good, good for the... <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, no, no. So, no, 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 no. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> um, no, no, but for example, like, you know, like, I'm actually in this uh, this NBA playoff pool. And, like, 
when you look at like the distribution of like champions and like the distribution of brackets that ended up picking these teams, like they match almost exactly. And you're like, what are you doing in this pool? Like there's no efficient, I mean, there's no reason to be in this pool, right? Um, fortunately, that's not the case with, with the NCAA tournament. Um, so, so anyways, you have to, I had to do some math, I had to figure it out. Um, and I actually did that sampling wrong to figure out what pools you were were also in your bracket like the first year. So I've, I've since fixed that. But um, so the 2015 was kind of like a mad rush to, to kind of get it done. You have a hard deadline. Sure. But, you know, like I, I really feel like it's been worth it, right? I mean, there's no other time of year where you get just get a, such a short time where everyone's really interested or can be interested in analytics because they sure. want to win their pool. They haven't yeah. thought about college basketball much, but you know maybe they think this analytics thing is cool. So um, you know, definitely something that I enjoy doing, and it's also giving me a lot of content for this podcast series I've been working on called Pure Bracket Wisdom. And uh, yeah, love doing it. Yeah, that's uh, like just number one. Yeah, everybody, everybody does a bracket. Everybody, every yes. and they're all. If you have a pulse, you, you know, every every single human. Yeah, even people who aren't doing sports betting, they're not doing fantasy, anything like that. Everybody does a bracket. So yeah, I mean, you picked a good market to hit on because that's just that's just something that everybody I know does. And then number two, I love what you said about like knowing the distributions of uh, you know who who other people are picking and fading the public. It kind of reminds me of like uh, the DFS guys. Where they talk about it's funny oh, how yeah. in, in sports betting if we talk about fading we talk about fading a team we're betting against the team mm-hmm. it's a two way market in a lot of the, in a lot of the things we're doing because it's basketball football baseball whatever team sports but in you know in DFS fading a player just means you're not putting them in anybody's lineup when you know right. it's going to be a high distribution like you know the distribution of that player is going to be a higher percentage. And you're going to go against the grain on that. It, it does kind of remind me of that. And then, I mean, just talking to people that do DFS professionally or seriously, that's, I mean, that's the sort of thing you need to do to win those things. Not just thinking yeah. about who's going to be doing well and who's going to win the tournament, but who's everybody right. else going to have that you don't think yep. is going to win. I love this. Yeah, Let, let's let's put a pin on this for a second, though, guys. Because this, to to be honest, having read your stuff, having listened to your podcast, that was like the aha moment of the whole of the whole thing. Like, oh my gosh! Like, it's something that I have never thought about before when filling out a bracket, and it is ridiculously important. So let's circle back on that as a teaser for the listeners to listen to the end of this podcast. Um, let's stick to uh, some modeling topics first here, because I have a lot I've wanted to talk to you about for a while here. Um, you brought up Ken Palm, obviously extremely influential source of data in the college basketball space. There is no denying this. Are, you know, right away, if you're getting into this and you want to develop something that is, you know, okay, and just in general, like if you just go to Ken Palm's site and grab his data and project a score, guess what? Mm-hmm. You're going to predict exactly what the market makers set the line at. That does you no good, right? right? You're not right. finding an edge in that sense. You are literally just repeating the exercise that the bookmaker is, is carrying out, right? So right. it becomes extremely important to come up with some nuance, some way of differentiating your process from what Ken Palm would do. Right? How do you how do you go about attacking that? What are some of the philosophies you found defective in that regard? 
Yeah, I mean, I've taken a lot of things that I've used in football and uh, applied them to college basketball. So one thing I do is I use the markets as a source of predictive numbers. Um, so, you know, closing point spreads, I take them and I adjust for who people have played in the same way that I do in my team rankings. Um, I call these my market rankings. Mm. And um, that's a, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's different from the numbers, right? Because you can get, you know, for example, like they're going to be higher on Duke than the pure numbers are. Of well, course. Especially when Zion, Zion comes back just because of the potential of that team. They tend to be a little bit lower on a team like Michigan State, uh, a team that has just played out of their mind this year. And I have a ton of respect for that team, but doesn't have a ton of NBA talent on it. So, so these are the types of differences that you'll see when you look at markets. And, and you know, you don't, you don't have to look at my market rankings for this. You can just look at the futures uh, to win the tournament to see that Michigan State's a little bit lower than where they would be compared to like a Ken Palm or, or my team rankings. Um, so, so you get a little bit of that in there. Um, so that, that's kind of the main difference. You know, I still, there's a little, still a little bit of a preseason weight um, that I put into the model at this point. Uh, it's still a short 30 game season. So we still kind of, uh, uh, you know, take those expectations in, into consideration. And then uh, it's, it's all about ensemble methods, really, for me. You know, how, how can we find good sources of data? And obviously, you know, like the, the efficiency things that Ken Palm does, the efficiency things that I do are, are the core of them. But what other sources of data are? Well, they're certainly the markets. Um, and, you know, in football, uh, in the NFL, I started doing both yards per play and success rate. And those tend to be both predictive yet they can give you pretty different answers sometimes on teams. Sure. And of course the combination and the combination of those things I find is really where you end up getting better predictors. Cause um, there's no so, right. There's no one right way. Right. I mean, like there's a exactly. lot of ways to approach this and, and at least knowing and understanding for a given outcome that there's a broad set of possible ways of predicting is valuable information. Right, like you want to know, like certain games are like huge range of outcomes. Other games may be a lot tighter. Like that's valuable right. information to have in your pocket if you're trying to, you know, win money long term betting sports. No doubt. Um, well, exactly, and well, and, and I got to bring up what you're doing here too, because you know when you came on my podcast and you were talking about some of the things that you're doing, just try to understand variance. Like still, even everything that I've talked about is still kind of you know how do you rank teams one through three hundred fifty one. Um, but there's more to it than that. And, and some of the things that you're doing, trying to capture variance in these teams, I think is, is really, you know, somewhere that I kind of hope to go with my methods somewhere too, where you can't, you don't just say, okay, well, this line should be, you know, whatever it is, you know, Gonzaga by, you know, I had a 12 and a half against St. Mary's the other day, but it's more like, what's the probability that they're going to cover because you know something about the variance of how these teams play. I think yes. that's, yeah. that's a really cool thing. Yeah, for sure. Certain games have a narrow distribution. Other games have a wide distribution. If you can find games with a wide distribution of outcomes, and you can sell right. some points in basketball, you can be a, you can be a winning better in basketball just by doing that. You really don't even need to know anything else about the teams, anything else about the situational factors. If you if you just are selling points for less than they're worth, 
basically, <laughs> then you're going to stack those. So, <laughs> so I presume that's like the backbone of what you're doing in the yeah. NBA. The books right? don't know what those yeah, players yes, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, well, that was the backbone of what I did in the NBA last year, for sure. That, that was the only angle that I really had to make money in the NBA last year. Now I've got a couple more tools and a couple more, you know, I've learned right. I've learned some other aspects to, to help uh, get a better median, right? So like, mm-hmm. you know, that, that like, I don't know, my philosophy has pretty, pretty, pretty basic, right? Like, you want a median projection that's as reasonable, reasonably close to accurate as possible, but there's uncertainty. And if you quantify that correctly, then you know the, the shape of your distribution, right? And, you know, there are ways to get the median, you know, to adjust your median appropriately. And like, it takes a lot of experience and a lot, or like luck, or, you know, you need to luck into some, you need to have a theory, you need to test it out and it needs to work out. Uh, and then right. you, you find right ways to shift your median. But, um, but you, you you brought up a pretty interesting point that helped me a lot in football this year that I would like you to expand on a little bit for the listeners. And that is regressing the, regressing the market, coming up with some mm-hmm. way of taking what the market is telling you and turning it into actual numbers that you can then incorporate quantitatively, right? Right. And I started doing this for football in the NFL this year, and it was eye-opening, right? Like, you take the Vegas openers, you have a couple weeks worth of them. If, let's say you have them at the beginning of the season. You have the entire season's worth of look-ahead lines, right? You can... Uh, 16, yeah, we had everything in the last three. Yeah, right. You have yeah. 16 weeks, 16 weeks of data. You can back calculate what Vegas's power number is for any given team. Like, it's a, it's a solvable problem. It's a closed-form solution. So... Um, yep. can you, can you elaborate on like how that effect that has, you know, how that has helped you in terms of modeling and kind of give people who don't know what the hell we're talking about, <laughs> what is, <laughs> what is regressing to the market? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a couple different things that are important here. Um, you know, the NFL in particular is the league of regression to the mean, right? I mean, salary cap, uh, free agency, like the NFL is designed so every team is about as average as possible. And you obviously have outliers like the Patriots. And then, you know, the, uh, I was going to say the Raiders, but I actually have some hope for them next year. But, but anyways, I mean, they're, they're definitely outliers on either end of the spectrum. They can't get worse. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And one of the, and one of the really they could. You, <laughs> sorry. They sorry. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I know we could go off for an hour about them, but, um, but, but yeah, I mean, I I think especially in the NFL, you know, you have these look ahead lines, you have, um, you know, your preseason expectations like really mean a lot, especially when a small sample size in the NFL, Um, you know, you talked about the look ahead lines, which is a very powerful source of data. Another thing that I do is I take win totals and the prices for over and under, and I back out, what the preseason power ranking should be based on oh, that. Oh, that's nice. And, and so that, yeah, so that's another thing that, that gives you another, um, you know, I actually don't do any preseason NFL modeling in the sense of like using data or analytics. I mean, most of my stuff is, is market driven like that. And I, you know, I think that's really one of the reasons like, you know, my, I mean, my NFL spread model is probably, yeah, it's probably not as good as my college football totals, but it but it's like one of the stronger things uh, on my site that I that I say for members. Um, so there's that idea of regressing in the mean, and then you know the other the other idea of regressing the mean is just like not making uh, 
you know, your numbers shouldn't make too big of adjustments just for, for blowout type of wins. And, and one of the things, um, you know, one of the first years I actually did my calculation, uh, you know, New England beat Tennessee, I think it was 59 to nothing. Oh, a snow game. I remember that on Halloween. In other words, they had like, a <laughs> was, it, was it that late yeah. in the season? It was okay. like on so Halloween. It was that late yeah. in the yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. And I was kind of sweating it, right? Because I was like, oh, man, I'm going to put this number. I think it was literally the first year. It was the first year I did NFL numbers. I was like emailing my friends the numbers every week. That was my distribution channel. Like, what is going to happen with this 59 to zero? <laughs> um, but but the, way my, the way my algorithm works, it really kind of de-weights those blowouts. So it says, you know, let's, let's just not overreact to that, that big score. And it wasn't anything that I built into my algorithm. It was just kind of a happy coincidence of, of how it worked out. Um, so from that game, like New England moved up, I think a point, a point and a half or whatever. But they didn't all of a sudden skyrocket to like, you know, 13 points better than NFL average. Yeah, yeah. Which would be it ridiculous. Was- it was a little earlier. It was October 18th. It was week six. So it was, it was early enough that you might have been like, oh, shit, this is really going to tilt things. I was <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Um, okay. Well, a uh, couple things I always am curious about when we you know, when we talk to people who are heavy duty into the analytics and modeling space. Um, you know, let's say you have a bunch of results from college basketball games over the course of the season. Let's say you're going to put you know, you're going to put a uh, finger to Excel and start, you know, hammering out uh, some algorithm to try to uh, come up with a, you know, a tool to, you know, predict these results. Um, you know, what are some of your strategies to go about evaluating what would be good predictive variables and coming up with weights? You know, what, what are some of the ways that you think are, are useful for going about evaluating a data set in terms of making a model? Yeah, I mean, you always want to know what variables are are predictive, and and that can be pretty tricky. You know, I mean, what most everyone uses is to you know look at how that you know look whether the quantity early in the season can predict what happens later in the season. So, uh, and you and you to do that, you ask what the correlation between those two quantities is. And so, the no, most notorious example is that you know turnovers in football. Um, there's kind of no relationship to turnovers in football the first part of the season uh, and later in the season. Um, so, you know, kind of the main conclusion you draw from that is not uh, turnovers are random. They're not. Um, but you can say that randomness plays a big, big role in, in turnovers, which I, which is certainly true. Um, and it takes a lot more advanced work to figure out, you know, how to predict turnovers. And, and this is something I'm still working on. But yeah, just doing some, you know, simple statistical tests with correlations to figure out, you know, which variables are strong predictors for the future. Um, and that's, that's the basis of, of every model that I have and, you know, why I don't include turnovers in like a predictive model, right? Um, mm-hmm. I will yeah. opt to, to look at other things. Sure enough. Such sure as enough. yards per play. It, it, it makes me think of Alex. Alex is, uh, and there's different, you know, different trains of thought on this too as far as <clears throat> I guess my question in a roundabout way is priors you know when you do you talk mm-hmm. about using early season statistics and data using them to be predictive and later in the season doesn't work in week one you don't have the data and then as you right. go I guess you're feeling because I have different feelings on this compared to some other people I know that do especially in football you know you do have to continue to wait priors 
but I mean, right. can you weight them equally amongst every team? Like, I don't feel like every team in right. the NFL should be using the the same amount of priors from the past season. Just you know, some right. teams change a lot more than others. So if you just say, "Well, I'm using forty percent this and sixty percent last season," like it shouldn't be across the board. No, I completely agree with you, and that that comes with the whole art of you know kind of taking this uh, objective type data and then finally making decisions on what games you want to bet on. Um, you know, if we, I mean, we want to come back a little bit to to college basketball now, right? Like, um, yeah, I mean, your priors change about like what what you thought about these teams preseason. You know, for example, like Kansas was preseason number one, right? And at the very top of a lot of college basketball rankings there. They've, they've obviously haven't performed at that level, you know, with injuries as well. Um, so, so normally where I would say, oh, we need to put a little bit more weight into the preseason, you know, with a team like Kansas, you can be like, okay, well that, you know, being first in the country is really not realistic right now, even with the injuries that they've had. Right. So, sure and, and you can play that game in the NFL as well too. I mean, even more so. And then, you know, and, 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 you can even ask the questions like, you know, with the Raiders again, like, are they tanking? How, how much effort are they putting in these games? How does that affect what, you know, how we wait preseason prior? Uh, I know like the Arizona Cardinals, uh, a lot of models kind of like them to go over their win total, but then you saw the coaching and what that led to as the product on the field. And you're like, mm, okay, maybe the preseason <laughs> Isn't going to help you out here at all. Yeah. So, yeah, I think this, you know, like everything that I do on my site is, is about, you know, how data and analytics can help you make better decisions. Um, You know, we'll talk about this on my podcast. You know, you, you you don't just look at a number and bet it, right. You you don't look at analytics and just say, Oh, I'm going to bet the side or I'm going to bet the total, Uh, especially in football. It's it's a lot harder than that. And uh, I, it, it's about making better decisions, not just looking at a number and saying, all right, I'm going to bet. I love it. I love it. And uh, yeah, you, you point out a ton of important uh, factors there. And uh, I, yeah, I would say, you know, clearly, um, you know, clearly in the NFL, having some, you know, some, you know, being willing to take a subjective uh, approach to tweaking, you know, team by team, uh, game by right. game. Uh, you know, being flexible in that sense, I think, does pay off in the long term, for sure. Yep. Let's oh, get and, to, and uh, like you said with the coaching, too. I think yeah, in, 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 in the NFL, more than any other sport, using a little, you know, I call it due diligence or the eye test. You know, if your numbers say one thing, but you can, you know, sometimes you can clearly see, like, Something, you know, something's not stirring the Kool-Aid over there and things just aren't going to be going the way the numbers think they're going to be going. Because if there's coaching problems or there's personnel problems, you need to be able to differentiate your numbers from what's actually happening in the real world. And I think more than any sport, the NFL is that way because there are teams where sometimes I'll look at things and be like, why isn't this team any better? And then you look at what's going on and be like, oh, yeah, they're just not going to win with this combination. <laughs> yeah. You know, this combination. Yeah, right. The coaching this, this you know the combination of the coaching the philosophy the players like yeah. sometimes it's just it's it's a recipe for disaster yeah and actually what again let's talk that, about Oakland uh, yes yeah, so, so, something you said that really actually is kind of an you know kind of an aha another aha kind of moment um 
there really isn't any reason that you have to treat every single situation, every single game, every single team the same across your whole your whole process, right? Like if right. if clearly you know one team is an outlier, then it doesn't make sense to take all you know thirty two teams or in the college basketball three hundred and fifty one teams. It doesn't make sense to take the priors and weight them all equally across all of them. If some of them might be some of them might be you know, have some signals. Some of them might be totally useless. And you know, being able to actually get your hands into the guts of things and and make the adjustments that you need to make makes a ton of sense. Um, so yeah, thinking. I guess just being original is kind of the lesson I'm taking <laughs> out of this, and and not and, uh, and not being yeah, not being totally beholden to. Uh, oh, I'm going to do it this way. I have to do it this way then for every single game or across every single team. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and, and, and with all due, with all due respect to the. Oh, go ahead. The, I was just gonna say that the three fifty one thing has been just killing me because we're we're just shitting on the Cal Baptist Lancers and the the North Alabama Lions who joined us at D one this year. Yeah, three fifty three this year, guys. Right. No, <laughs> they can't. They can't put in the tournament. Bad. But completely my bad. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna jump in with a with a quick college basketball example. You know, like I mean, Kentucky has a pretty young team as they usually do. And we talked about how they got obliterated in that first game against Duke. Um, you know, they're a team when I try to project them into the tournament, like they're a team that I'm going to say, okay, well, what have they done the second half of the year in conference play? Like if I just took those game results, how, uh, how good is this team? And the answer is probably better. Um, and, and that's something where, you know, that's another set of data. Like, I would never do that to a team like Michigan, who hasn't had any injury. Well, I guess they have a recent injury, but but they haven't had any injury issues. And I think this team has been, you know, we've seen highs and lows. Um, so, it, I, I think there's a lot. You know, there's a lot. There's there's an art to this stuff, and and it's all about you know how can we get the data to help us make better decisions based on what oh, we know great. about these teams. Uh, this is just good advice in general for handicapping and for you know for that was a, that was a good way to see it. Just, yeah, the art is, to it. Yeah, because it, it, this is true. Because it is, you know, there's so, yeah, so there's many a people, lot of so, data usage, yeah. but you still need to still need to know like how to rein it all in, slap together, and make informed decisions. Yeah, and you need to know something about these teams, right? And you know, you think back to kind of like the financial crisis, and and part of the problem was people were applying models without knowing anything about the markets they were applying them to. Just a bad idea in general. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, there are a lot of quant people who are heavy duty quantitative people, people who are, you know, smart thinkers, uh, who I don't think are willing to kind of consider the artful side of this, which is, uh, right. which is a shame. Um, okay, let's get right. into March Madness specifically. This is, uh, this is the time of year. Um, we sit here um, less than a season. week away from seeing a bracket. Um, specific question for you, Ed. How much of your work is done before you even see the bracket? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, more so this year because I've been working on this pure bracket with some uh, podcast series. Um, you know, the, I think you can do a lot of work beforehand because my process and, and actually this is my process for betting, too. You know, you have the numbers, you do the best you can with numbers that use season long data and they're going to have, you know, a top three team, Duke, Virginia, Gonzaga. But then you also want to know these teams like we've been talking about. And so a lot of my research before this bracket comes out is, you know, understanding the players on these teams um, and doing, doing your research to know that 
well, you know, Duke has a higher ceiling than, than maybe a Michigan State. And so that involves watching games. And, and that's been really great for my prep for this podcast series. And so I want to have that all set before the actual Selection Sunday happens. And then once we have the fields and we can see how everything shakes out, you know, maybe there's a small adjustment where, you know, you know, one of the best teams is on one side of the bracket and all the other best teams are on the other side of the bracket. So that's definitely going to affect your win probabilities. So you can make those adjustments after. And then clearly after, um, you know, when when we talk about like contrarian strategies and fade in the public, you have no idea what that is until you actually see the data on ESPN. So how many people are, you know, picking Duke as champion compared to like a Virginia? I actually think this is going to be a huge, huge year for contrarian strategies um, for a number of reasons that we can get into. But again, you you, you don't necessarily, you can guess about what the public's going to pick. Uh, after Selection Sunday, but you don't actually know until you see that data on the ESPN and, of and millions of brackets. Of course. Okay. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Just, that just makes going. me think about my future bets. So. <laughs> <laughs> like not knowing the draw. That's the worst. It's like, it is. I, yeah, what was right. it? Oh, Cincinnati, Cincinnati and Nevada last year. I had in Cincinnati and Nevada and very nice right. numbers, and then the draw comes out and they play each other second round right so i that's why i've just leaned leaned away from future bets this year yeah makes (laughs) sense man that makes sense um yeah so um ed can you elaborate a little bit on uh going how you would go about simulating an outcome of a tournament um and specifically like you know how you do you do you you use a single uncertainty and you know because you have to use random numbers it's this is not complicated, right? Like this is, this is, there's a repeatable way of doing this sort of thing. But, you know, one of the key parameters is like, you know, what, in, what uncertainty to slap on any given team performance, right? Do you right. try to go team specific for that? Or do you just use a global uncertainty so that you can kind of get a more stable, uh, stable result? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's what you would call like kind of a global uncertainty, right? I mean, I'm using kind of the, the mean that I'm getting out of my team ranking. Okay. That, that implies a win probability. And then the randomness is really in that win probability. Okay. I got you. So, yeah. Good deal. Um, and then, uh, okay. So then you do a certain number of simulations. You develop, you know, from these simulations, then you can actually, and, and you know, set, setting all of this up, you know, you, you, for sure you need some sort of, of platform that is more sophisticated than Excel because of the limitations of being able to do loops in Excel. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I do all my stuff in Python. Uh, okay. Yep. So, yep. Any other any other uh, platforms out there that you would recommend to people to do this sort of thing, or is Python is the I mean, way to go? I mean, I think Python is great. Like, R. it makes you write. Yeah, I mean, you know, like it's your first programming language, it can be hard, but but it kind of makes you write clean code. Uh, in that, like, the code won't work if you make it ugly. So, so that's, that's a nice part about it. Um, you know, you have all kinds of libraries available. I personally never messed with R, so I don't really know. I've, I've actually never coded in SQL either. So I, I can't personally say whether you should or should not use those things, but I, I like Python. I like it. Um, you know, if you're trying to do this yourself, go for it. I mean, you know, if you need it, right. Uh, sure. there's a lot of sure. things you can do in spreadsheets and I know, you know, I know people that were doing kind of like least squares rankings type calculations in Excel. Yeah. And that's right. a good thing to do. So God bless you. Go do that. But then you right. run into like, well, all of a sudden I can't do that for college basketball because I'm limited to, to 200 variables. Okay. Right. Well, maybe in that case you need to move on to <laughs> R or Python or 
or whatever else you need. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, okay. So then now here you sit with a set of results from your simulations and you can specifically pull out of the, you know, what, what are the most useful things to mine out of that? How often a team makes right. the final four, how often a team wins the title, um, you know, those per percentages help inform your next step. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, the, the biggest thing you pull out of it is how often you win a pool. <laughs> and how often you win a pool is a function of how big that pool is and then your strategy. Okay. okay. So, so like, you know, the, the, like the, the very first thing you need to know about NCAA tournament pools is that your odds drastically decrease as the pool size gets bigger. So I, I love this concept. So basically dream small. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't, don't go and try to win a hundred, <laughs> hundred, hundred, 200 person pool. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like you're not going to win Buffett's bracket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I feel like a hundred is kind of like your your upper limit. I mean, especially if it, if there's like one winner, right? I mean, it's different if there's like ten winners in it. Um, but yeah, you know, like if you just you know, I've done some tests, and if you do, uh, you just put in like the higher ranked team by my team ranking. And you simulate it against like one bracket drawn from the statistics of the ESPN, you know, the millions of brackets submitted there. You have like an 80-ish, 85% chance to beat that one person. Sure. So therein lies the power of analytics. Got but it. problem is if you got like 10 people in there, now your, your odds drop down to like 50%, which is still pretty good, right? I mean, of course. You flip a coin, you flip a coin to 10 extra money, there, there's no problem there. Um, but once you get on to like 50 and, and 100, I mean, 100 person pool, your probability is probably down to 8, 6%, something like that. And, you know, if you're trying to win a pool, like you don't want to wait on average 12 years to win that pool. Like you want to win now. <laughs> you only so, get one crack a year, right? That's right. Yeah. And, the, you know, and there's there's other people I know that sell <laughs> bracket advice about this. And, the, and And they just disagree with me on this. They think there's a lot of value in the big pool. And I'm like, fine, sure. I understand. You think there's more ROI there. And, and I can, I, you know, I have calculations to prove that there might be ROI in these, more ROI in these bigger pools, but you don't want to wait that long to win, right? Like the tournament no. doesn't happen every day. It happens once a year. No, even yeah, if it, I was, even, I was yeah. say it's not right. It's not like the regular season or, or people who do the, the DFS where they're playing baseball right. every single day for a whole season. Yeah. You don't get, you don't get a shot till next spring. That's right. That's right. And I mean, and to be, let's be, let's be honest about something, uh, you know, winning for the ROI. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're after an ROI, you're, you're in the wrong game, buddy. <laughs> like you're playing <laughs> one pool for, I mean, yeah, like that, that's, that's not the name of this, you know, they, but that said, there literally is like maybe no better feeling than crushing a pool. Like you, you know, sure. you get, you get into a pool with 20 or so other people, you get a pretty nice winner take all pot. Like you win that pool, like that is a great feeling. Like I mean, like this is a you know this is akin to like okay, can you can you win, um, can you win a parlay or can you you know win the lotto, right? Like the idea, you know, the chances you're winning the lotto are virtually none. But you know, then chances you're getting a parlay may be small. But you know, still, you know, when you do win that pool, it's it's pretty huge, and you think it's effectively you know there there's a sweet spot so to speak where you can you know can make the reward you know, enough, mm -hmm. uh, and make right. the likelihood that you get, you know, that you get a win high enough that, uh, you know, just, just 
dream, dream small. Yeah, absolutely. I, I dig that. That is it. And it's good advice. Um, I guess, you know, for people who are like, well, this doesn't sound easy. How do I get in a small pool? Like, is it as easy as like, <laughs> you know, start one yourself, go around your office, bang down yeah. the doors of your 20 year, um, 20 year coworkers? Yeah. So, so personally, like, I actually don't know anything about this. Um, you know, back <laughs> in grad school, I started like using Ken, I started writing code to fill out my bracket and people stopped. Like this was before the power ring came along and I was actually, you know, doing serious math to, to, to predict the outcome of the tournament. Like people were like, no, you're not welcome in, in our, in our <laughs> pools anymore. So it's been a long time since, um, since I've actually been in a pool. And sure. so I kind of live vicariously through my customers and, and other people who follow my site. Uh, I, I think if you, you need to get me to do on this here. Jeez. Yeah, no, I know. Um, like we 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 I'm like a little disappointed right now. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just not at all surprised. Just, at least I'm you not, won. I'm not at all surprised. No, I guess it like, makes sense, dude. I, I mean, Danny, come on. You, you've been disinvited from you. You've you've you've. I, I I have in my life a number of times been in pools with friends and then didn't get an invite one year and been like, what the hell? And like, yeah. oh, and then you and invite- then you're like, I guess I guess the pool just dried up. Nobody, there was no interest this year. And then, like halfway through, you see, like accidentally, you're on a text chain. You're like, "Wait a second, you guys did this, and I specifically was uninvited." Like, this is bullshit. Like that. Absolutely well, I know, is. but I would, I would invite the two of you into a pool either, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just not smart. Sure, 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 sure. So, okay, so, but if you're if you're a guy that's that's enjoys these podcasts and you're you know you're at a desk job, like, is it as straightforward to get into a pool as making one yourself, get your coworkers involved, uh, and yeah, you know, I mean, are there social implications of taking people's money <laughs> i mean you're yeah you're i think so yeah so so I best mean, I, to best to try to find one that's that's more well structured that's not run by yourself yeah i mean i think there's nothing wrong in kind of starting your own um i mean there are the issues of you know i have definitely have one customer that's won a couple years in a row with my strategies and i think he had to kind of fake his way into the pool the next year Sure, sure, sure. So, His wife happened to um, win the next year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. His, His cousin Marty. Who <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever met. Yeah, no yeah. oh weird. And it kind of just does it does it just like it is just like everything else in I mean, again, sports bet like DFS, everything, like if if Ed's information, you know, like let's say it was a drawing, like it's a random drawing. And if, if right. Ed's information gives you one extra ticket, it's it means a whole lot more in a twenty person drawing than in a five thousand person drawing. Yeah, without just, a doubt. If, it's the same as it's the same as everything else. Like greed, greed is going to kill you. And get in, get into a smaller pool like this, especially. I've been in a few where you know it's twenty to fifty people, and they pay out a few spots. If you if you can actually put the time in, and I've I've done well in those. It's been I think it's been a year or two, but it is so much it's so much more fun to take that, that big check home at the end or all that cash, and especially if it's ones with coworkers or buddies or something like that. Oh yeah, bragging rights yeah, aren't no. bad either. Bragging rights are huge. Um, okay, guys, let's get right to let's get to the meat of this. Then let's get to the the topic that everyone tunes in for fading the public. And this is kind of a third rail as far as sports betting in general, because there are, you know, this, you know, fade the public overall, the way it's utilized in sports betting commentary is really, really, really tricky. 
Um, there are right. websites right. out there that specifically purport to have proprietary information that will help you win long term as a sports better by fading the public, <laughs> and that's nonsense. Right there, but this is a different, a uh, completely different beast for a bunch of reasons, and I'll lay them out, and you can kind. I'll give you, you know, kind of true, true or false. This is different because you literally are. You want to build a sample that represents your pool, which means you need to have some reasonable representation of what your pool will look like. And there is actual information available at ESPN to inform that. This is not guesswork. This is not, you know, hey, what, you know, like, yeah, well, you know, not, you know, this literally is all are created equal. All of it is there in real. And this is true data that you can actually use to, to build a reasonable sample. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I mean, the idea in a nutshell is, you know, if you're in a if you if you're in a small pool, you can just go with favorites, and you you give yourself a decent chance to win. If you're in an intermediate size pool, like anywhere from thirty to about a hundred, um, you want to pick. Uh, the problem is, like, you know, let's let's go back to to 2015 when Kentucky went into the the tournament undefeated. So they had about. Sure. chance to win that tournament. So very good. And they were the favorite and they should have been the favorite. But the problem is like 42% of brackets on ESPN were picking Kentucky to win that year. So the problem is if you also pick Kentucky, then, you know, if you're in a, you know, if you're in a 50 person pool, approximately like 20, some 23, some people also have Kentucky and then someone gets lucky by picking some, uh, you know, random sweet 16 games and they basically get lucky and beat you. So what you want to do is instead find another team that has a decent probability of winning, you know, nothing like the favorite of Kentucky. But if that team wins, then all of a sudden, you know, you're the only, you're the, you and only a couple other people have that team. And, and that year, I, I call this the contrarian champion. And that year was Duke. Very talented team. They are on the other side of the bracket from Kentucky. Had about a, I think about a 15% chance to win that year. And so oftentimes that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a team with like in excess of 10% chance to win, but that not a lot of other people are picking in your pool. Pick them if they actually win. You're, you're, you're going to have a great chance to win your pool. And you got to be smart about this too, right? Because a lot of times who you pick as champion is very regional. So um, oh, sure, don't, sure, sure, don't, sure. don't think you're picking a contrarian champ in Ann Arbor by picking Michigan, right? Yeah, right, right, right. If you're if you're in a pool of Duke alumni, then picking uh, exactly. Kentucky, Kentucky would have been the contrarian champion that year. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right, exactly. Right. I, got you. I got you. So, so that's the idea in a nutshell. And then just all my calculations have have gone to show that, like, you know, the favorite strategy is the best for small pools, and then there's a crossover, and the contrarian strategy is the best win probability for bigger pools. I like this. And, I like it. I, I do like the regional thing to it. It's almost like in like in fantasy sports when when there's a really good player on your team, you know at your local your local draft that guy's going well above his yep. ADP because everybody <laughs> wants you know it's, it's your guy. Exactly. Like just oh, just exactly. in years years and years and years of watching Adrian Peterson go like five five six spots higher than his ADP, just knowing like right. it's a minus EV move to draft him in this league because you'd have to go way too high and i love that too with uh, talking about the brackets as far as this the hometown team i almost love it when the gophers don't end up in the tournament it makes it easier for me to fill out a bracket mm. yeah yeah 
Yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, any other contrarian angles that you want to bring up at this point in time? And I, and, I, and then I want to recircle fade the public because I have a quick question for you guys sure. as far as uh, you know wh- how you think that applies to March Madness. But yeah, what are what are some other good contrarian ways to go about uh, uh, you know making up some points along the way? Yeah, I mean, I mean that that's essentially it. Like your champion, you want to pick a contrarian champion. Um, you know, maybe pick. I often advise putting in multiple brackets, so maybe a favorites bracket, maybe one with a contrarian champ. I've also done some studies about, you know, picking, you know, contrarian choices in earlier rounds, uh, you know, like a team that might lose in the championship game or a Final Four team. When I run those numbers, like, it, it, your win probability doesn't necessarily go up uh, like it does for the contrarian champion. Like, the champion is just worth so many points, 32 points compared to, you know, one for a round of 64 game. Uh, there's there's just so much there's just so many points there that that's the one that really affects the win probability. The is thing that, you don't want to do yeah, is make ahead. like low probability choices. Like you don't you don't want to pick that team with like a three percent chance to win the tournament, um, even if it's contrarian. Even if like you know point one percent of the public is picking them, probably not going to turn out well. Yeah. Okay. How about uh, does does this de-incentivize picking upsets in general in rounds one and two? Um. You know, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, you kind of read my mind on that one. Yeah, I mean, those games really don't matter in terms of, like, the bigger picture of your pool, right? Like, I mean, there's so much stuff about these 12 or 5 offsets. And and that used to be so much more fun because oftentimes you find a couple 12s that actually had a higher win probability than the 5. And that was super fun. You don't really see that anymore. <laughs> Uh, as much, you know, I mean, you'll see a couple 12 fives where the five is like a, you know, 52, 55% win probability. But I think the, I think the, the committee has gotten a lot better uh, at these games. Um, you know, personally, like if you, if you're a sports better and you don't have a ton of time to fill out this bracket, just, just don't worry about those upsets in the first round. If you want to have fun and, and try to think them up, great. Um, but definitely go by the numbers, try to pick the higher ranked team in those games and just don't or waste just, your time with that. Yeah. The higher win probability. That might be one of my favorite things about the the disconnect between most media and just sports bettors in general. Um, I think back to, to, I don't know what year it was, whatever. A couple of years ago, Middle Tennessee State, uh, Minnesota. It was a 5-12. and 12. And Middle Tennessee okay. State, I believe it opened around, it, it opened around to pick them. And they took money. Right. Like the 12 seed took money. They, they closed as a favorite, whether it was a point or a couple points. But, and then, you know, you, you see it in the news later. It's, just, it's a, a 12 seed upset. Like, and they, yep. I mean, they were like, a, they were like a 54% chance to win that game. Like that, it wasn't an upset right. at all. Just the, the, seed, <laughs> the seeds don't make shit. Right. That's just where the committee put them. Oh, yeah. Don't look at the yeah. markets. Yeah, that, that always cracks me up. Always. There's always some funny tweets about that, too, at the time when it happens. Um, we got our first upset. They were favored in the Vegas line. Yeah, I mean, like that That's that always kills me. Um, okay. Uh, the uh, Let's circle back really quick on Fade the Public for March Madness in general. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of the more problematic definition of fading the public. I mean, and and really the concept in general of, you know, hey, you know, all of these people have uh, have picked this side against the spread in this game and they don't build hotels in the desert, you know, or like that's why they build (laughs) hotels. You know, I mean, like like this is it's 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 a concept 
that you know sounds plausible, right? And right. assuming that you did have all of the data of who bet what, when, at what numbers, for what amounts, and who is a long-term sharp player and who is a long-term loser, like assuming you had the entire context around the betting marketplace, then yes, you could presumably suss out some, you know, some uh, bettable, actionable angles out of all of this. I, I mm-hmm. get it. That is right. not what you have. We, we don't even right. close to have that. Not even freaking close. And the idea that there are, you know, that there are, there's some system where, oh, this team is only getting 40% of the bets, therefore they cover 67% of the time. Like, like that stuff drives me <laughs> off up the walls, right? Right. All that, all right. that said, is there anything about the way that the March Madness game by game pools are populated and the public just the overall public nature of who's betting into these markets and how much like is this a specialty case where we actually there actually are you know like is this the um accidentally a case where you can fade the public in march madness and uh, and uh, andy yeah have we ever talked about this before andy like how this not could, really, like, but I mean it, like, it is like it is a special is, case. This is the this is yeah. like the exception no. to this. Yeah, I mean I, I'll give you one example, right? I mean Michigan two years ago, they uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but they they nearly died on their way to the Big Ten tournament. Uh, their plane got blown off the runway, and they were all okay. But oh my god, oh, that was wild! And then they go, oh my god. and then I they bet, go on a I run. I against them like three games in a row <laughs> in the conference tournament. Yeah. And, oh my, me and my buddies were at the bar eating lunch. And they're like, they're wearing, they're wearing like practice uniforms. They don't have their shoes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Plane accident. Exactly. We're gonna cash so hard, and we just we just kept pounding them. And eventually, I think we bet on them. We started to bet on them after losing multiple plays against them. Oh, I, I will never forget that team. Yeah. So, so, anyways, they they go into the tournament. They upset Louisville in the round of thirty-two to go to the Sweet Sixteen. Team's playing great. And then I unfortunately had Oregon as a one-point favorite against Michigan in the Sweet Sixteen game. And man, that was really hard to tell people that Michigan shouldn't be the favorite in that game in Ann Arbor that week. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think there are cases, and uh, you know, it, the game went out of the wire. Oregon won by one because Derek Walton missed the jump shot that would have given Michigan the win. So I, I do think there are places where you can kind of fade the public teams that go on a run. Um, you know, is there a huge edge? No. I mean, you're going to get like a one, maybe two point edge in a sweet 16 game so i mean we're talking about like maybe like two or three games a year um i found zero last year i mean i was looking pretty closely last year. i found zero games that i i thought you could have this kind of paid fade the fade the hot team type angle mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's not going to happen this year so yeah i feel like it can be there but it, you got to go on a year by year team by team basis okay yeah Yep, I like it. Um, I just, you know, I, I feel like this myth has perpetuated for so long that, like, right, and and yes, not all betting markets are created equal. Like for most NBA regular season games on Wednesday night, like the betting percentages that you could see on a screen are not going to help inform you what the right side to bet is. Period. Like, yeah, but <laughs> but in March Madness, <laughs> when there's now you know. 100x yeah. 
the tickets and it's lots and lots and lots of people that have no idea what the hell they're doing. And, you know, they are moving, they're presumably, you know, they're presumably setting the number based on volume at that point because they just are at the, you know, they have to have equal action. Uh, and, you know, and for sure, like we talked about this in the NFL playoffs, like a lot of the sharps and a lot of the bigger money is sitting on the sidelines because guess what? We know more about these teams at this time in the season than we ever have. And the number presumably can be set as sharp as freaking possible. And so there's just not as many plus EV bets to make, right? And so so it does make sense that you could see some shade on whatever the more popular side would be, either way on uh, you know on a given uh, on a given college basketball game in the tournament, especially as we winnow down to Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight, Final Four, because people bet every single. I know. Game, I'm, I was just going to say that it. second weekend. It's the second, second weekend. weekend. Yeah. Like once, yeah. I want to. I want to find this. I, somebody did some with I, I don't know what they use for the numbers and the betting percentages but they said and they even pretty much said like these numbers are shit don't use these numbers but if you go back and look he's like in the second weekend of the tournament he's like they're highly predictive somehow okay so right. so the lesson the lesson i really wanted to draw and the whole reason i brought this up is if you are relatively new to sports betting if you are listening to this podcast and you've heard us smash, bash, talk shit, whatever about you know betting percentages, and you see some tweet about you know Duke minus eight is getting ninety two percent of the tickets, therefore you know <laughs> you know there therefore you know uh, what, what's that was therefore Wofford you know is the right bet here, and that happens to you know you know Duke you know the, and then Wofford happens to cover. Right, uh, that is confirm. You will you potentially you become victim to confirmation bias that this <laughs> is a thing that exists in right. all games in all sports, and that you should subscribe right. to some service and give them your hard-earned money and make it even harder to be a long-term successful sports better because you're paying that tax for information <laughs> that is completely useless. <laughs> so that's well, all. Well, I really here, I would break about that. No, no, but see, I would put it this way. You're like, oh, you see that, and you see that 92% of the tickets are on Duke, and, and maybe you should take Wofford. Well, maybe, you know, check what the analytics say about this game, right? Like, Sure, sure. You know, does Ken Palm's number say that Duke should be an eight-point favorite? If not, if so, then, or, or my numbers, or, or Andy's numbers, then maybe you don't think that's as much of a bet, you know? Is anyone injured on Duke or Wofford? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think the I- bigger... Probably should use 18 I think, or something, but yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, but I just think, I think yeah. there's a bigger lesson here that if you are trying to beat a pretty efficient market, you better know everything about this game, right? Like, oh, yes, that's true. That's um, true. Not just one angle about what the public's going on. I, I actually think, you know, data on where the public is going in the NFL and, and in March, I think that's really important data. And, and, and now that we're talking about this, like, I'm going to go look at that data. But to make a decision, no. But to make a decision yeah, just on yeah, that, of course, just, I do it every year. I do it every year. I'm guilty as 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 anyone on this for sure. No, but yeah, sure. I mean, there's nothing wrong with using that as a piece of data. It's just to you know to subscribe to that as the piece of data that you should. It's just, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, just yeah, be yeah. be be a thoughtful, uh, you know, thinker that that understands you know the the generalities of the sport that you're betting on. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, last question about March Madness, and then I have a couple final thoughts I wanted to get your take on. Um, what happens if you find yourself in a pool full of sharks? 
what happens if you happen to yeah, be get, in some you, you happen to be in some chat group of advantage players and then you throw oh, together man, get, a March Madness tournament. And, but you want dude, those bragging rights. You want those bragging <laughs> rights though. Like the bragging rights are almost as more valuable than you know than the money won or lost, right? <laughs> You're paying like, for what, those. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. What? What? What is your strategy if you do accidentally find yourself in a pool full of sharks? Just make, just run a model and take the the highest percentage at every step. I mean, cross your fingers. I, I honestly don't have a strategy for that. I would get the hell out, but <laughs> you're not going to do that. So yeah. I, I don't know. But yeah, take your take your best chance. Okay. Take, take, yeah. Take, take, yeah. A, take a crack at it. Okay. Try to try to find a sharp contrarian angle. Like the sharks yeah, I mean, all I, I think, think that think these teams are, some... are underrated. <laughs> Fade those teams. Yeah. I mean. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the question is like, what would you do in, in a pool of eight people that have all read my book? Yes, that was exactly. I don't know. Yeah, right, like, right, yeah. What would you do? Like, I don't <laughs> know what the answer to that is. I mean, some people have been like, hey, you should have a you should have a pool for people on your site. No, I don't want to pull out this. <laughs> what you don't want. Yeah. You yeah. want a pool with grandma who doesn't know much about college basketball. For sure, for sure. Okay. Yeah, you want to be playing with Kathy from accounting. Yeah. Yep. 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 Okay. Well, with that, uh, sign up for the deep dive listeners pool and uh, try to beat the show. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay. Uh, the uh, okay. Fi- couple final thoughts. Uh, I'm. I love that you got to. You know, you went to the trouble of um, you know putting the book together. Um, how did that whole process work? Was it self published? How did you? you know, how does the interface with Amazon work? Like, like what? Any tips or yeah. or, um, or thoughts for prospective authors? For this type of content, yeah, I I think you know I self published it. Uh, it was uh, it was like a crazy two month process. Um, I actually did not put it on up on Amazon at first. I sold it on my site uh, through a service called Gumroad, which is which is awesome. It's a it's a great simple interface where if someone wants to buy your stuff, all they have to do is put in an email address and a credit card. No sign up, no like login, passwords, none of that junk. Um. So, uh, if you're going to, you know, it kind of depends on, you know, in terms of self-publishing, it kind of depends on what your goals are. Like my goals are to get my content out to a lot of people without necessarily, uh, you know, it's not like profit maximization. Like I'd like to make a little bit of money out of it, but like, it, you know, especially with March Madness is the kind of thing, like you don't want to leave it out there for free because it, it is valuable. Um, but I don't necessarily... You know, I don't really want to sell it at, you know, like twenty dollars a book, right? Sure enough, yeah. that that yep. leaves people out. Um, yep. Amazon is a great way to do that. You know, I have, you know, my book is two ninety nine. Okay, so it'll cost you less than the latte at, at Starbucks. And I personally that because I don't like it when I go on these other sites and people are just like, "Hey, buy my high end product." Um, like I, I like to read books, and I I, I like the the low end option. Now, I'm happy to sell you my high-end product where I do all these contrarian strategies for you. And you sure. can find you can find that on my site as well. Sure, um, sure, sure. But yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, like I'm I'm a reader at heart, so I and I I I like the self-publishing process. I've also found that like Kindle Unlimited is a really good thing to make some extra money. So there's there's like a couple million readers that subscribe to Kindle Unlimited, like ten dollars a month. And then if they subscribe to that and you put your book in there, then they can read your book. And when they read your book, then you get some money from that. I like that. That's so, cool. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, I like that. 
Yeah, let's write books. And, and I, we should write books. That was really why I asked that question because we should write a book. But at some point, but uh, yeah, we talk. Uh, we do a whole chapter on the public. Um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's an unfair jab. I'll, I'll take it back. Um, no, that's a fair jab. Uh, okay. What, what, uh, what, what, you know, what, you know, the, this recent podcast series, I love the, I love the concept. Uh, can I give, give us the elevator pitch for, um, for why I should subscribe to this, uh, this pure, pure hoops bracket pod. Yeah. So it's, it's pure bracket wisdom and it's a daily podcast for the 10 days leading up to the tournament. Uh, some episode, they're all less than about 10 minutes. Uh, some are about strategy, which I've talked about a bunch of them today. Some are previewing teams. So uh, Duke, Virginia, Gonzaga, uh, Michigan, and I think Kentucky. Ooh, I think nice. I finally decided to do Kentucky too. And, and then there'll be some bracket analysis as well. But it's just, you know, it's in and out of your life in 10 minutes. Uh, just a little audio to get you prepped uh, to win your pool. I love it. I love it. Fantastic. Um, the... Uh, <laughs> the yeah the the idea of daily shorter content is something that i think is not well utilized across the podcast space so good job by you getting something in there uh and uh let's call Thank it a pod sound sound good guess yeah it's awesome who wins last question for you who you got this year oh geez <laughs> who's your 10 percent contrarian baby yeah not not who do you put in the bracket or who do you think is the best <laughs> yeah that's a good point who do you yeah, actually that's think a good point. yeah who do you actually yeah, who do you actually Think yeah, I mean, if 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 Zion is healthy, Duke should be the favorite. All right, and we've known That's that. We've known that. Up to the one. podcast host is not allowed. No, I'm just kidding. I, 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 think, that's, <laughs> I think that looks. That's good. That's yeah. Good. Um, all right, Andy, who do you think is going to win? Before we see the bracket, Pepperdine. Is Pepperdine going to be it? No, Pepperdine. No, oh, man, they made a run through the tournament too. They had that weird triple by bracket, and they made it all the way to the semis and just got murdered. So just no, Pepperdine, uh, Pepperdine will not make it. Although the like WCC is a two bid league now. Yeah, it I'm is. thinking they're going to give the Zags an yeah. at large. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Serious, serious question, guys. Uh, and you know, in in general, um, having done this year over year, over, and I should, should I should have should have put this earlier in the podcast because this is a really interesting topic. But year over year over year, the bracket, you know, the the committee tends to structure the bracket in a relatively predictable way, in my opinion. Or is that a myth? Uh, that's the first question for you. Is it a myth that they are relatively predictable the way they structure the bracket? They want mid majors to win week one. They want them to lose week two. They want the blue chips there in the final four. They want legacy matchups like Duke versus Kentucky late in the tournament to drive ratings. Are these real things that go into the bracket construction? And do you, I mean, do you have to, do you play into that game when you construct your bracket? Or do you try to avoid that because you think people will have a cognitive bias? Like, oh, I'd love to see Duke and UNC meet in the final four. Oh, I'd love to see a rematch of Duke, Kentucky. Like, do you think that uh, those are aspects that need to be considered? And if not, Maybe you could add that as a, as an addendum to the to the book to the to the most popular selling uh, basketball book. <laughs> Thanks, but, um, you know, I mean, personally, like, I I, I I'm not really conspiracy theorist, but I don't I don't think that's happening on purpose. I think those things are inevitable. You have 32 games the first two days of the tournament, and you're inevitably going to get up, upsets, right? I mean, you you just throw the best 68 teams in a blender. There's no way that the you know the the higher ranked team is going to win every single one of those games. 
So, so March sure. Madness is really all about the sheer number of games those first couple of days. That's why it's the madness. Now, it's also not surprising that like these these higher uh, seeded teams like end up you know making it deeper in the tournament. Um, you know, I think one seeds have made uh, like forty one percent of Final Four teams are one seeds. So. You know, those better teams are going to make it there and you inevitably are going to end up with these marquee matchups by the time you get it to the lead eight and then and then into the final four. So, you know, I personally don't think about those types of things. I think, you know, just stick with the numbers, stick with the eye test, stick with contrarian strategies. Uh, you're, you're going to do just fine in your pool. I love it. All right. Great, great advice. Great podcast. Really appreciate uh, all of the uh, all of the insights here. And uh, I'm ready to take down my bracket pool full of sharks for the bragging rights. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I'll probably probably find a couple pools besides that that uh, that I can at least have some winning pool this year. <laughs> uh, Andy, Sounds good. Uh, you ready for March Madness, Andy? No, oh, yeah. Be excited. No, we'll be out, be out in the desert in a week there. It's funny, too. Like, I, I love, I still love pools. I love have but it's funny like the first time i ever went to vegas for march madness i want to say it was like saturday already you know you're, you're all the way through the first round and somebody says something about their bracket i'm like oh shit i didn't even i don't even realize like how i'm doing it that like all of a sudden it's a completely different game when you spend that much time sports betting but no i still do them every year i still love them should we even my i have buddies are so old school about it like you can check come on your phone apps now but i still have guys that uh that go out there with us that will bring the highlighter and print one off because they oh, just wow. they love to have that the, the, the highlighter and the piece of paper. They're puffing their chest out. I got I got a whole I got whole oh, Thursday every pick on Thursday of day one correct. I'm gonna win the pool this year. And Look how much neon yellows on this one. <laughs> yeah, right. That's great. All right, that was a ton of fun. Really appreciate this and uh best of luck in in uh, March Madness and keep up the great work, Ed. And uh yeah, we'll we'll absolutely reach back out to you and there's something interesting going on in the world of modeling college football or college basketball in the uh, in the coming future. So thank you again for your time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. It was a lot of fun. All right, best of luck.